Hey y'all, my name is Eric. I'm the lead pastor at Emmanuel and Hookset. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast. Our goal is to be a blessing to everyone who listens as you continue on your journey of faith. It's also our hope that you'll be encouraged to find a church to belong to so you can plug into that congregation and bless others with the gifts and experiences that God has entrusted you with. Well, I hope this podcast is a blessing to you and encourages you to get out there and be the blessing. God bless. We are continuing in our series, Learn to Discern. Learn to Discern. I want to read you something that I have opened here in my Bible. Uh, When I was called to preach and pastor and be a minister, I was about 18 years old, might have been a little bit younger. Uh, I resisted the call for 10 years. Uh, I was not interested. I was scared to death to get up in front of people. I was shy. In fact, Trish was my first serious girlfriend. She still is. She's my wife now. I was so terrified of talking to girls that I decided, well, I finally talked to this one. I might as well marry her. Um, I'm just kidding. She was, she was the one. Uh, and, and I got this Thompson Chain Bible for Christmas one year, and I began to go through the chain. I began to study my Bible. Uh, and this is the word of the Lord to the prophet Jeremiah. And he said this, Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Um, as we're going through Learn to Discern, it's a good question to ask. We're going to lay the framework of the Word of God over our culture, and we are going to adjust our opinions to match the Word of God. Now, that's not going to be comfortable, is it? Especially if you've recently come to Christ and you come to Him with all of your baggage and you come to Him with all of your ideas and then He saves your eternal soul and He says to you, the Bible is the Word of God. It is true in every aspect that it touches. And so what we read here is that before Jeremiah was formed in the womb, God knew Jeremiah. That says to me that while he was in the womb, God knew Jeremiah. What does that teach us about pregnancy today? You think God, is there, there's two pregnant women in the church. Uh, Sarah, she's due before, Kir, uh, Kirsten, no, Lord help me. She's due before Chloe. They're about a month apart. Did you, really, did you reveal your name yet, Sarah? Hunter, yeah, you did. So you think God knows Hunter? You think God knows Hunter? You think he knew Hunter right away? You think he knew Hunter before Hunter was formed in the womb? How about Grayson? That's my grandson, right? God knew us before we were even formed in the womb. How should that impact your your framework on life? How should that impact your opinions on infants, on children, on children in the womb. How do you think that should impact us? They are people. They are people in the womb. Let's go on. That was totally free. Uh, You could take that home, put it in the bank. He He goes on and he says this, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. That is to say, I set you apart. I ordained you to be a prophet to the nations. He had a calling on his life. 
Before he was even born, God knew that he was going to call him to be a prophet. And then I said, and this is the part that really hit me, I'm like, oh, Lord God, I cannot speak from just a kid. I'm a youth. And for me, it was, oh, Lord God, I cannot speak for I am scared to death to get up in front of people. I'm shy. I don't even want to introduce myself to people. I would just like to stay in the corner. I can serve you all over these different places. And for 10 years, I did. But he never let go of that call in my life. And so when I was 28 years old, I finally answered the call. And he said to me, don't say that you're a youth, for you're going to go to all whom I send you. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. And then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See this day I have set you over nations and kingdoms to root out, to pull down, to destroy, to throw down. See, now pastors are called to throw down. That's, that's an idiom for fight. You all want to throw down right now? To throw down. This is the calling of a prophet, and I would say a preacher, a pastor. We, we don't just come, and, and, and we shouldn't just come and preach everything positive and, and live your best life, right? You, if you're building on a, a foundation that is suspect, your building's going to be messed up. Amen? Think about it for a second. I worked for Rick Morin. Rick's a contractor here in our church. He goes to Florida for about six months of the year now. Uh, but I worked for him when I was 18. He, let me tell you something about Rick. He works. It's like they stop to eat, and when they eat, it's like turning on a vacuum cleaner. And then you're back to work. And we were doing these houses uh, out in Amherst. We were doing condos. And they fired the crew before us, and they hired Rick to come in and finish the job. And let me tell you what happened at the job. The foundation was crooked. Whoever laid the foundation, it wasn't square and it wasn't plumb. And so as Rick was going up from that foundation, he had to gradually adjust the building to get it square and plumb. I mean, that was a rough job. If your foundation is wrong, it's going to mess you up. So the pastor, the preacher, the prophet is called to root out, pull down, destroy, and throw down things in our lives, ideas in our lives, that are contrary or against or don't agree with the Word of God. That's what we're called to do. And so that means sometimes we're going to say things that you don't agree with, but the Word of God says it. And we're to root it out and to pull it down. But then he goes on, he says, to build and to plant. And that's my calling today. And so if you get a little bit uncomfortable as we go through this series and as we go through this sermon, I want you to understand... I'm glad you are. I'm glad you're uncomfortable. I want you to be as comfortable as possible when you come into our church. I want you to feel loved. I want you to feel accepted. I want you to feel uh, just the warmth of our church. And then when you sit down and the worship is over, I want you to be so uncomfortable. I mean, I want some of y'all to be squirming in your seats at times as the Word of God fishes around in your heart and says, oh, and he points and he touches that one spot that you've been trying to hold on to. Because he wants to root it out. This is the word of God. In Psalm chapter 
number 22, verse number 14, the Bible says, I am poured out by, like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, it is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death. For dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I, can't, I can count all my bones. And they look and they stare at me. And they divide my garments among them. And for my clothing they cast lots. This passage of Scripture is a prophecy concerning Jesus Christ. Written thousands, hundreds of years before He came to earth. Before He was born and finally crucified. And when Jesus was crucified, what, what did crucifixion look like? Anybody know? What do they do to you during crucifixion? Raise your hand. Raise your hands. What do they do? They nail your hand. They, nail, they pierce your hands and what? And your feet. Written hundreds of years before Jesus was crucified, crucifixion is depicted in the book of Psalms. The crucifixion of Jesus was depicted. They said they, he said they cast lots for my clothes. And as the, as the writers of the gospel accounts were writing about the crucifixion of Jesus, what do you see? The Roman soldiers have his garments. And they get to his cloak or they get to his outer garment. It's all woven together. It's all one piece. And instead of fighting over it and ripping it and stuff like that, they decide to do what? They cast lots for it. The guy with the longest straw keeps the cloak. Hundreds of years before Jesus was crucified, hundreds of years before the Romans cast lots for his clothes, it was written there in the book of Psalms. The Bible is what? What is the Bible? Trustworthy. How do we know it's trustworthy? Well, the prophecies have been fulfilled to a T. To an absolute perfection. To the letter, prophecies are being fulfilled and have been fulfilled. The Bible is absolutely trustworthy and Jesus is Lord of all. Because He has fulfilled not just this prophecy, but about 300 other prophecies in the Old Testament. Jesus Christ fulfilled perfectly. And that's amazing. It's absolutely un unbelievable. And it is miraculous. Let's move on. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5-7, through 7, there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ. This should be up on the Bible app. Uh, if you have the Version Bible app and you go over to more and you hit events, Lord willing, Emmanuel, there it is, it is up there, and you can follow along in the Bible app. You can take notes if you're signed in. And we're going to be taking, I mentioned that in particular because we're going to be going through a lot of Scripture today. So I just want to hold, hold on, read through it. If you have the Bible app, save the sermon. Super easy so you can go back and look at these Scriptures later. There is one God and one mediator between, uh, between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave Himself, a ransom for all to be testified in due time. 
for which I, the Apostle Paul is writing this letter to his protege, Timothy, his disciple, Timothy, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am speaking the truth in Christ and not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. <clears throat> and now we're going to go to, oh, we're still in there. Whoa, what, Lord help me out. Oh, thank you, Lord. Now we're going to go to chapter 3, verse 16. We're still in 1 Timothy. We're going to go to chapter 3, verse 16. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the word, world, and received up into glory. Can we read that together? I want to try something. Can we read that together? All right, ready? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to bring you in. Y'all, my choir, I'm your director. Ready? One, two, three. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in glory. This is what is called a creed. This was a creed of the early church. And we're going to go on to another creed. This is another creed. Written before the New Testament was written or, or shared before the New Testament was written. It is, a, it is a declaration of beliefs that these New Testament believers, these believers had before the New Testament was written, they had this creed. They had this set of beliefs. For I deliver to you, first of all, that which I received. And here's the creed. That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. And that He was buried. And that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. That is a creed of the early church. Can you read that with me? Let's do that together. We're the church. Let's, let's share our creed together after the colon. Ready? One, two, three. That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Church, that is a creed. You ought to know that. It ought to be burned deep into your heart, your soul, and your mind. These are New Testament creeds, summations of the Gospel, the essentials of our faith. These had been developed shortly after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Within about 30 years after the resurrection, this creed was being circulated among believers in Jesus. Before the New Testament was written, this creed was already in existence and it was going around among the believers in Christ. It's an amazing thing. And so when we talk about learning to discern, we need to know what we believe and why we believe it. And we need to recognize this, that you and I can be duped. We can be deceived. Do you think you can be deceived today? Has anybody ever been lied to and believed it? And found out later it was a lie? You think we can be duped? So it's important that we know what we believe and why we believe it, amen? And it's important to know that because when people come to us with something that says something else, 
The Apostle Paul warned the church at Galatians and he warned the false teachers. Woe unto them that preach another gospel, which is not another. It's not a gospel at all, he said. He warns us we ought to know our creed. We ought to know what we believe and why we believe it. And I'm just going to share a few things that are absolutely essential to Christians to understand. We need to stay close to the Word of God. We need to know how to read it. We read the Word of God as it is. We assume everything is literal until it is clearly not literal. In other words, symbolic language is obviously symbolic. Otherwise, we read it in its grammatical, historical, and literal trans- uh, interpretation. We try not to read into Scripture things that aren't there, right? We don't create mysteries that aren't mysteries. We read the Bible as it is, the truth of the Word of God. The mystery, by the way, has been revealed in the New Testament. We need to know the Word of God. We need to stay in the Word of God. And the central message of the Bible, what is the central message of the Bible? It is Jesus Christ and that we might know Him. He is God in the flesh. This is the truth of the Word of God. We ought to consider the thousands of years of interpretation of the Word of God. There are people that have come before us who have examined the Word of God and have great masterworks that the church at large agrees with. But we ought to always remember this. There is no teacher of the Word of God who is God in the flesh aside from Jesus. And so men can be wrong, unintentionally so, but more nefariously, men can be intentionally wrong. We'll talk about that in a minute. We need to know the Word of God. We need to believe this, that God, Jesus, is God, and that Jesus is man. He was all God, He is all God, and all man, all at once. Do you believe this? Do you understand that this is the truth, and the Word was made flesh, and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. That is Jesus Christ. By Moses came the law, by Jesus Christ came grace and mercy, or grace and truth. We need to understand that as we just read, Jesus alone is the one mediator between God and men. In other words, there is a divide between God and His creation of humankind. There is a divide. There is a schism. We are called the enmity. We are called enmity with God. Before you come to God for salvation, we are all the enemies of God. This is what the Scripture teaches us. And so we need a mediator, someone to come between us and God to work out an agreement. There is only one mediator between God and men. What's his name? What's his name? His name is Jesus. He is the central message of the Word of God. He is the mediator between God and men. And here's how he has brought peace between God and men. And that he died for our sins according to the Scripture, and that he was buried for our sins according to the Scripture, and that he rose from the grave according to the Scripture. There is your creed. Jesus is all God, all man, man, and He died for our sins. He was the substitu- is the substitutionary sacrifice for the sins of the world, moved by love to a cross of hate. This is Jesus. 
He can bring peace between God and men because he died for the sins of the world. Jesus is risen from the dead so that all who call upon him in repentance and faith will be safe from the wrath of God both now and for eternity. Eternal life is reality. And if you will trust in Jesus Christ, you will have eternal life with him and God and it will be bliss. This is what the scriptures teach. This is what we ought to believe. That salvation is a free gift, the Bible says in Romans, a free gift to all, for all, who will repent toward God and trust in Christ. To the Jews first, the Bible says, and also to the Gentiles, the rest of the world. Why was it to the Jews first? There is chosen people and Christ came to them first. They rejected him and then he went out into the rest of the world through the apostles, particularly through the apostle Paul. And we believe that the listen, we believe that God is one God. Theologically monotheism. He is one God, but he exists in three persons. That is called the Trinity. And so we believe that the Father is God. We believe that the Son is God. And we believe that the Holy Spirit is God. That is Bible, church. If someone tries to teach something different than that, you know that they are a false teacher perverting the word of God. We believe this, that the Bible in its original manuscripts was absolutely inerrant, that is to say without error, absolutely true regarding all that it speaks upon, whether scientific or geological, you name it, it's absolute truth. The beauty of the Bible is it reveals the truth of mankind, how that we are all sinners, and we are all broken, and we need a Savior. Some of the greatest heroes in the Bible were marred by deep, deep chasms of sin in their lives. David being one of the most notable in the Bible. It seems as though Moses had an anger problem. You remember Moses? There's a movie Charlton Heston plays Moses and the Ten Commandments and it's usually played around Easter time. He was the original Gandalf. You shall not. All right, he said, let my people go. And he stood there and the waters parted. And then, but he struck a rock out of anger. He went to God and said, just kill them all. And then God said, I'm going to kill them all. He's like, no, God, wait. I mean, Moses was a man just like us. Seems like he had a sin problem of anger. Elijah, the Bible says, was a man just like us with the same passions. Elijah got depressed just like us. He sat beside a little brook and he complained to God. He ran for his life from a woman named Jezebel. And God fed him took care of him by that brook, and then the Lord was like, okay, there's this enough time that you spent at the brook. Uh, I'm going to dry it up, so you got to do something. So the brook dried up, and Elijah tromped off and went into a cave, and Elijah seemed like he had a little bit of a, uh, a fear problem. Elijah seemed like he had a little bit of a bitterness problem. Folks, if you're looking for perfect Christians and perfect people, you will not find them here. Not on this platform and not in those pews. But that's why we need a God who is a great Savior. 
The Bible is completely without error. It speaks the truth even about its greatest heroes. It speaks the truth. Moving on, uh, the Bible is the sole authority in the life of a Christian. It's above all other authority in the life of a Christian for it came from God. Do you believe, O Christian, that this book is more than a book? Do you believe this is more than just a collection of letters and biographies and histories? Do you believe that this is the very Word of God? Do you believe that, Christian? This message is to those who are believers in Christ. If you're here this morning, you're not 100% sure that you have a home in heaven. You'll hear something in this message, and you already have. How that you are an enemy of God, that your sin has has caused a separation between God and His creation, but that He loves you so much that He came to earth, wrapped Himself in flesh, walked the earth as Jesus Christ, and died on the cross for our sin. Died for you and for me, and He rose from the grave so that if you will call upon the name of the Lord, you will be saved and be welcomed into the family of God. And I believe this, that God will begin and will give you faith to believe that this book is more than a book. This is the authority in our lives. If you have a preacher that preaches from something else besides this book and says, thus saith the Lord, but it's not found in the book, reject that preacher. Let's move on. I'm jumping ahead. So these are some of the things that we ought to really know down deep in our hearts. You ought to know what you believe. You ought to know why you believe it. This is why you ought to know your leaders in your church. You ought to know, uh, is their teacher biblical? Do they strain the text to the point of breaking to make a point that they believe so strongly? There's a lot of churches like that. They, They have extra biblical things. They have opinions that they establish as truth, but they're just opinions. Folks, we need to, we need to know who we're, who we're listening to. We need to understand their honor for the Word of God. We need to know pastors that cut straight the Word of God without twisting it for personal profit, for notoriety. We ought to be able to look at our pastors and our teachers and say, well, do they exhibit the fruit of the Spirit in their lives? Are they humble? Are they kind? Do they rule their households well? Are they sober-minded, not drunkards? Are they temperate, not giving into extremes, moderating their emotions well? Are they violent? They shouldn't be. Brawlers? They shouldn't be. Covetous? They shouldn't be. Quarrelsome? They shouldn't be. Are they experienced in the Word and the ministry of God? You know, we've, we've uh, established Peter Klaus, the associate pastor of this church. He exemplifies all of those things. Otherwise, he would not be called to be the associate pastor of our church. He exemplifies all of those things. This is why we should research authors that we read, podcasts that we listen to, radio programs that we hear. Folks, you need to be careful. Even on right now media, if you're listening to the teaching and you say, well, wait a second, that doesn't sound quite right. You know someone that you can come to right here in your own local church. You know me, you know Peter, you know Ron Anstey, 
you know us, you can approach us, you can bring those questions to us because you know us. We have fruit, and that fruit, the Bible says, remains. What are some of the fruit? Fruit would be other believers in Christ. Are there people who have come to Christ in the church for the ministry of the pastor? Are they, are they faithfully following Jesus today? You ought to be able to know that about them. And so we conclude this, that the Scriptures, the truth of the Scriptures must not be ignored or replaced by anything. Does that sound familiar? We've been saying that for the last four weeks or so. The truth of the Scriptures must not be ignored or replaced by anything or anyone. The truth of the Scriptures must not be ignored, must not be replaced by anything or anyone. Church, that is your safety net. That is your foundation. That is what keeps you away from false doctrine and error as it rides out on TikTok and it rides out on podcasts and it rides out on YouTube. There are so many false teachers who are available to the world today that would never have had an audience before our technology erupted as it did in the 90s and the 2000s. Hey all, thanks for listening to this podcast. If you'd like to know more, please go to our website, emmanuelhooksit.com, where you'll find helpful links and resources and where you can contact us directly. That web address again is emmanuelhooksit.com. Bless God, get out there, and be the blessing.